Good afternoon, folks. So here in Bristol today for VRMC, uh, the Virtual Reality Mobile Congress, and with me is Katie Good. Katie has been described as a pioneer in VR uh, because before most of us have even had a VR experience, she's already attempting to push the technology beyond its current limits uh, to create new, imaginative, and genuinely social experiences. She's the creative director at Triangular Pixels, uh, working on games such as Smash Hit Plunder, which lets players explore and wreck a dungeon, uh, whilst looking for treasure, I might add, uh, and also Unseen Diplomacy, a game that The Guardian called immersive and tactile. Katie, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I know it was a little bit difficult to actually get hooked up, but it's really, really nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you for like coming to meet me. Yeah, just been so ridiculously busy and rushed off my feet, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that you're very busy right now. Um, now, I'd like to start um, probably with this. I mean, you've obviously given an immense amount of thought to how VR can become a social experience. Now, this idea runs contrary, obviously, to a lot of the popular perception of what VR is, that VR is an excluding and isolating experience, somebody there in a headset not paying attention to the world around them. What have you learned so far about creating real-world connections between VR participants and their friends and family, the people watching them? What works? What modes of interaction do you think are successful? So I guess this really started when I realised that people were just staring at the VR player and I felt really just a lot of empathy and sorry for these people because they like they want to be in there, they want to see what's happening. Uh, so that's when we started like trying out things like our shared screen, uh, which is basically what's only now called the social screen, where we just started taking data and remapping it to uh, a bigger version of the game on a TV screen so that everyone sort of can start seeing what's happening and sort of join in. And then also then we started playing around with much bigger theatre-like experiences, like we did with Unseen Diplomacy, where we not only had the screen, but we also had the whole room dressed up and had spies interviewing you, so you were actually just in the room, you were playing the game, as well as networked uh, Oculus Rifts into the Vive. And then I eventually brought it back to the living room where the Sony now, you can actually sit down together all on the sofa, all playing the same game, even though one of you is wearing a VR device and everyone else is using a controller. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, you've basically broken through that that separate, you know, everybody's got a smartphone, for example. If you can create, you know, I, I imagine that you could you can create scenarios then where somebody uh, using a smartphone can, say you're playing, you know, for want of a, uh, uh, something else to describe, like a sim that has a lot of dark corners. So somebody else can unlock doors, illuminate lights, um, help point them in the right direction. You can maybe have voice input. There's so many other modalities that can be added that don't actually require that person to have a physical presence. Is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, so um, that's what we did with Double Destruction, uh, which was mobile VR jam winner from March 2015, where we realised that if you're going to have a multiplayer VR game, people aren't necessarily all going to have the same kit. They're not even going to necessarily have more than one kit. I mean, how many people can afford multiple HMDs in the same house? <laughs> so we realised that players would need to be using whatever is around them, uh, be that a pad and a PC or a mobile phone and tablet, which pretty much everyone's got a mobile phone now. So in Double Destruction, we did just that with this asymmetrical gameplay where the person in VR is round in darkness inside the dungeon and the person outside the VR is a lamp guiding the way for them. And basically they had to communicate because there's only so much fuel and the person in VR had to find the fuel. So there was all this sort of 
communication going up and down, up and down. So ultimately, the person that was on the outside was having just as much fun as the person inside the device. And we've just equal amounts of gameplay for both. I love this idea. I mean, I think it's such an essentially cool idea. And um, it's something that it's a democratic uh, approach to VR. You know, it basically says, you know, it doesn't matter that you're you're in here. And uh, I think the percep it will do a lot to help the perception of VR, uh, what you're doing, because it basically it will say to all of the other people around, look, I'm not I'm not not participating. I'm not. We're in a social space together. You can be part of this game, uh, which will then encourage uh, people who have maybe a little bit of reticence about trying trying on the headset to eventually uh, explore that uh, themselves. So I, I do think it's it's a beautiful idea. Can you talk about what you're working on? Sort of currently please uh, so we only just released Unseen Diplomacy uh, because there was the general public going really 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 want this please can you release it so we did <laughs> um, and that's gone down really well uh, but we're now still focusing on Smash It Plunder which is yes where you run around the dungeon and smash a place up looking for treasure um, so fortunately enough we've actually managed to get funding for that uh, so that's pretty much our main target but we're also looking to see how we can support unseen diplomacy and allow it to grow because there's definitely like the press has been just ridiculously good there's been amazing critical praise for it and like there's so many reviews already hearing on Steam from just general population it's just it's got into the minds of everyone and that's just because of the like, really different things that we're doing in it. We literally are just pushing the hardware to its limits by getting to physically crawl around, to dodge through lasers. Um, like The physicality is ridiculous. <laughs> you have to be generally quite fit. <laughs> um, so like that's just so freaking totally new for VR and it shows off the hardware. And then ultimately, if, when you buy a VR device or any sort of new device, you always want things to show off to other people. It's like, this is what this is, can do. And Unseen Diplomacy seems to be the title, the go-to title mm. for a lot of people for that. How have the Vive guys reacted to your kind of ruggedized sort of like play <laughs> testing of their product? Oh God, like we got through so many of the old kits. <laughs> so when we were showing it for just over a week in Nottingham at Game City, uh, we broke like a few controllers <laughs> and like the headset was not in a good state. Um, you know, people, were getting into it and so when they're hacking then whacking the controls against each other and because they were just unprotected because it was just prototype hardware they would smash up and the actual headset was not designed to be tugged in any sort of way so if you're running really are running between places you might catch yourself in the cable then unfortunately all the cables would come out of the kit and it crash but now like the new stuff the Vive Pre and the final Vive hardware can withstand it. And I've been actually generally impressed with how like safe it is now, I guess, in comparison, um, which does mean that we're much more comfortable with the type of gameplay that we're doing. Because at one stage, we're worried about maybe we'll have to tone it back if we did want to actually release it. Um, and we still encourage people to like play it at an event, uh, not necessarily like in their own home if they don't have the space, uh, just because there are definitely concerned I guess and <laughs> like just want to look after people mm. and just make sure everyone's happy and stay safe. I heard you say um, I think it was on an interview uh, recently uh, that you had a child um, who went off in the direction of a staircase was that okay? <laughs> yeah so that was uh, in the Gear VR back in October 2014 uh, when really young kids go inside VR um, you know the parents said let her try it and I was like okay um, 
they just don't have the comprehension to realize it's really it is a fake place now everyone says it's really immersive and it really feels real and it does really feel real but you know as an adult that it's still a virtual world uh, even if you forget that at times however like really young three and a half four-year-old kids just utterly believe it and she was actually she she was confused why she couldn't see her dad uh, she could hear him but not see him and then yeah just as soon as she put it on she tried to just wander off even though it didn't have any positional tracking she just tried to wander off down the stairs so yeah like it's for really young kids I would suggest having to think twice about it and especially about the content you'd be able to show them as well um, however if you you have to look at the different units because actually I think cardboard you can use with really young kids uh, and part of that is because they're holding it up to their face, they know it's almost like a set of binoculars rather than something that's necessarily attached to their face. What are the biggest sort of challenges for you guys in terms of uh, actually creating the content? I mean, it's, you're working at the cold face of kind of like a new medium with all kinds of technical challenges and, uh, and the hurly-burly of uh, this sort of product cycle rollout, which is in its own way gathering speed at a ridiculous rate. What are the day-to-day -day challenges for you? It's been hard. <laughs> um, so it is just me and my partner. Um, and yes, we're, we're really pushing gameplay and VR to its, you know, what, what can we do? Uh, and part of that is just finding the time somehow to try out new things and iterate still. So we, try, so we still try and do like little game jams at weekends at times, uh, just try something different. Um, and not everything works from it. Um, for example, we created a small experience called the Summer Sandpit, which is supposed to try and make you feel like a toddler again. Uh, we make everything around you really big, and so you're in this giant sandpit with like old 90s and 80s children's toys that are giant size, but you never feel like a kid because you're not the same proportions that you were. Um, so that was like a failed experiment, but we learned from it. Fantastic um, <laughs> idea. Love the yeah. idea. Yeah, so um, then we make sure, you know, when we are testing out new stuff, it's always hard to try and find people to test it with. Um, the big thing for us as well, it's like we've been really struggling with trying to deal with multiple SDKs because uh, they like to fight with each other um, <laughs> underneath the surface. So we've had to strip out, I think we stripped out the Oculus SDK a while ago and just staying with the open VR SDK. Um, just to make our lives a little bit easier. Um, and I guess, like, trying out with new hardware, just poking and prodding it, and, like I said, just trying to find the time to do things. Um, I mean, you said there's two of you, so, I mean, that sounds immensely challenging. I mean, are you, um, are you coding, uh, designing? I mean, are you wearing all of the hats? Yeah, so pretty much I do everything apart from the core programming, and my other half does all the core programming. Um, so, I mean, both of us were pretty fresh to Unity at the time as well, um, which, by the way, is also a faff when <laughs> there's features that are missing. <laughs> it's like, ah, come on, no, they need to catch up. Um, so, yeah, Unity's always getting delayed and trying to fix things and stuff. It's a bit of a faff. Um, but, like, so, yeah, we picked it up for the sort of first time for Smash It Plunder, so there's a lot we've learned with that. Um, and, like, we've pretty much done all of it ourselves and we're only really starting to get like one art contractor in um, we had a little bit of artwork done a while ago for Smash It Plunder just like the first few props to get the ideas working but everything else I mean I'm not an artist neither is my other half so I've had to pick up how to model stuff how to texture stuff how to do art how to do production stuff how to talk to 
people publicly because um, I'm a really shy person normally <laughs> used to be <laughs> uh, so like suddenly having to do public talks and promotion and website making making the website like learning how to make websites it's been a crazy experience and this is not including like the half a year I had to learn just how to deal with tax and accounts and all that sort of boring businessy stuff that none of us really want to do. Um, so yeah, it's been um, like a really interesting challenge. And you know, as I guess, what's great for us is we're just very fortunate to be in a space where if you do something really new and different, which is, it's quite easy to do still because there's a lot to learn, um, that you can get noticed. And if you shout loud enough about it, people will listen, which is really really cool. So also, I think. Uh, if you have really good ideas. I've seen some quite bad content uh, in the limited experience that I have of VR, which is mostly through kind of what you'd call high-end cardboard. Uh, it amazes me that not only do you have time to actually kind of work all this out and create it, but you're pushing boundaries with it. You're trying to create accessibility yeah. uh, within games. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I just find it fascinating that you, were, you would even find the time to, 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 to take it beyond just making the game and start thinking about how people who the game might not be accessible for could find accessibility in the game. I think this comes from the fact that when we're making games, we're always thinking of the end user. Like, they just seem to come first. We're not really the types to do anything for the sake of it, as in like arty types, if that makes sense. So when we were thinking about making Unseen Diplomacy, uh, we thought about how people in the queue would feel, which is when a lot of the social stuff came from. It's like, oh, well, if you're waiting in the queue, it's going to be really horrible. You could be waiting up to like 40 minutes. I mean, what can we do for those people? So that's when the social stuff came in. And then we realized, oh, what about if someone came to us and they're in a wheelchair? There's there's no reason why they couldn't play the game, apart from the fact the levels aren't designed for it at the moment, because I hadn't really thought about that. So yeah, we spent time just making this um, restricted movement mode, because you know we don't want to say it's disabled. They're not necessarily disabled. You know, not everybody wants to go crawling around the floor necessarily. Mm-hmm. And just making sure that like people could get around themselves they didn't have to we didn't have to modify the game very much to do that fortunately because how basically my other half loves to create systems and if you create a good enough solid system that you know things will drop out of it and part of that was you can make a nice automatically level generator which will pick like levels which would be suitable for you and so yeah like making sure things like there's no crawl spaces for users that can't get around, that there's on the high ledge when you go around that it's actually wheelchair width so you don't feel like your chair is going to fall off. And all we ask is that when we're at demos at events, players only have to be able to manoeuvre themselves around the space, mm-hmm. it be that a chair or crutches or what, however they wish to move um, because we don't want anyone else in the space getting injured. Um, and then just the colour blindness and deafness, that is just good game design, to be honest. You shouldn't just rely on colours uh, because they're not necessarily in, uh, like distinguishable for some people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's always been a thing. It's unfortunate that there's still a lot of developers out there just go red and blue, <laughs> like don't really think about anything else. And then uh, for deafness, like good visual feedback is has always just been a thing and it's just making people aware that that even in vr you still need that so yeah i hope that it's given because i did a a blog post about it recently and i just hope it's given people ideas the fact that even though as is possibly the most physical game there is available in vr 
that we've still made it. So even if you have physical disability, you can still play. And people, like other developers, need to be aware that they can do that too, even if it does mean... I think there was an extra couple of days of dev in a month, which is, I guess, quite high proportionally wise, but it's been, it was worth it. It's a delightful idea that, you, that you've thought of that, you know, like because as, uh, from what I can see, the challenges of designing any game in this medium are, are considerable. And to have taken the time to consider that, it's, it's a positive story for the medium, you know, like, and, and those kind of stories need to be told, particularly now because this is a new medium for most people. We just have no experience of what's going on there. We don't know what to expect. And to be able to have that sense of inclusion, it just creates a, a sense of the openness that's actually present in virtual reality. So I absolutely love what you're doing. I think it's a really, really wonderful idea. Thank you. Um, how bright do you think the future of VR is? I mean, obviously, we, there are a lot of technical challenges, so uh, I'm, I'm interested in kind of how you feel about the next three to five years in terms of how this is going to roll out. I mean, can it scale at the speed that people want it to, given the constraints, you know, tethering, massive computing power, cost? Will it be able to scale in time for the expectation not to s- sort of sate itself for at least a couple of years and slow everything down? So I guess... <laughs> What we've done over the past two years is really hype it up. <laughs> and at the moment, I'm really concerned, like making sure that, yeah, it's as good as what people think it is. I hope no one's promised the actual holodeck here. <laughs> <laughs> but in the future, I mean, you can already see it. You see it in mobile devices, how there's a tendency to, to, to like try and get positional tracking working on mobile devices. There's companies that are trying to get wireless VR working with computers. And like it's all going to tend towards the one sort of unit which is standalone in itself um, that has enough battery power to last a decent amount of time that is positionally tracked and somehow can track your hands as well. I don't know when that's going to be, but I know that it, you know people are getting there in bits and bobs. I mean, just compared to two years ago, I mean, let's be frank, the DK one, not just DK one was good for its time <laughs> but you wouldn't show it anyone now so i mean yeah plus another two years just we'll see where we're at and now there's so many other companies doing so much more interesting things that it's not just oculus anymore there's uh hcc and valve there's sony um even microsoft are trying to get in almost with their hololens uh, I mean, all these guys together, thousands of minds across the world, you would hope that something really cool and interesting is always going to come out from them. Um, and ultimately, uh, I think VR is definitely here to stay. Um, and from our point of view, as long as we have enough money to pay the rent and <laughs> food coming in from sales, then I'm happy. <laughs> like, I'm not really out there to make a million. I'm just out there to pay the food and just sit and make our own little games. I don't think you're going to have much trouble doing that. Um, what's next for you guys? I mean, uh, obviously, you've got you've got the rollout of your current sort of products. I mean, uh, how soon are, uh, are you to moving on to the next project? Are you already working on something else? What's Where's that going for you? So um, we're really wanting to focus on Smash It Blender now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we went through a period of realising that we needed to almost diversify and show that we were more than just one game. We also realised that we really needed to get just a bit of press and attention. So when we did release our game, that like people would be interested in it. <laughs> it wasn't just this random thing that just popped up on the store. Um, and we feel like we've almost done enough of that now to be able to just really focus back on the game again. If you haven't noticed, basically you haven't really seen much of my other half because he is the programmer and it's always going to be tight on code <laughs> side of point. So I've always been the one that's been going out. 
Um, is he just in a bunker somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a little virtual version of me with a whip. <laughs> no, he's awesome. Like, I wouldn't be able to do anything without John because, um, I mean, it's not just my ideas here. This is very much John's ideas too. Like, it's little things like um, there's a keyboard in Unseen Diplomacy that Eurogamer picked up recently saying that it was an amazing way to show the rumble feature on the Vive, the haptic feedback. You're just rolling over, you see the little individual keys being compressed and you can actually feel the individual keys. Um, that was all him. <laughs> like, loads of it is him. So, yeah, like, VR is here to stay anyway. And like I said, as long as we've got enough money coming through, we're both be happy. So my final question would be, uh, a little bit less deep. I'm just curious as to what are you playing at the moment? I mean, that's, that's, that, that you that you're not making. Uh, what's the most exciting thing that that you that, that you can't wait to sort of like to immerse in at the moment? What? what? So um, I'm looking forward to. So I'm part of a VR dev like social community, and I'm looking forward to like some of my friends' games. I guess you could call them like you know internet friends' games. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't really played on, uh, budget cuts yet. And I'd be, I'd, I'm mainly out of curiosity, really wanted to see how they do portaling, because I personally really hate teleporting in VR. Like, I find it really jarring, so much so that I want to rip off the headset. So they've apparently done a really nice method of teleporting people around. Um, and then my other half is so deep into Stardew Valley, it's untrue. <laughs> I think I've lost him. <laughs> so that's basically like a cross between, that's just a 2D game, sprite game, a cross between Harvest Moon and Animal Crossing. So he really loves that. <laughs> Uh, I can see why. I, I, I like the sound of that already. <laughs> Listen, Katie, um, as I said, I think you're well-deserving of the uh, of the title of VR Pioneer. I think some of the stuff you're doing is fascinating, uh, and I'm sure you're going to have an enormous amount of success doing it. I uh, wish you all the best with it. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. <laughs>